0: Welcome, Christian Israel, constitutional patriots, white people all over the world, uh, nationalists, Europeans, people who are being besieged all over the world by Juno. You know who? All right, folks. Today uh, we're going to continue our series on Steiner van Rensburg. Uh, Pastor Martins have been, not been able to get a hold of him, and uh, so he's. Uh, Hopefully, he'll be able to call in, and uh, I'm just going to, uh, I, I put the document in the chat room, and uh, we're going to start with Chapter 3 on the document that I linked in there, and uh, I, I had to switch computers because I couldn't get uh, Pastor Martin's in on the, the other, the new StreamYard system. So I had to switch to my other computer, which has uh, the old-fashioned butt system on it, right? So uh, everybody should be hearing me okay, even though I'm on a different computer. So uh, please give me some indication uh, that whether you can hear me or not. Should be able to. All right, so I'm going to continue with this document. This is Chapter 3, Second Revelation, uh, regarding... uh, Senior Van Rensburg, you know, we're talking his youth and uh how his relationship with his mother, who was a very strong Christian. Uh, thank you, Seven. All right, so, uh fingers, yeah. Bram says, fingers crossed for P. Martin's greetings. And, uh yeah, we're waiting for him to call in. Don't know what uh, his problem might be. He often has connectivity problems in the backwoods of South Africa. But here we go. Uh, this is chapter 3, Boy Musman, who was a, uh, I think, a son of one of the generals that Senior Van Rensburg assisted by giving them uh, visions, by giving them signs and visions which they followed very successfully uh, during the conflict between the Boers and the British Empire. I think uh, that was the war number 2. Boy Busman corresponded with various people for decades until his death in 1973 regarding Nicholas Van Rensburg's visions. He was his bosom friend for 12 years, as well as his disciple and only messenger. In his letters, he not only wrote comprehensively about Nicholas Van Rensburg's visions, which were told to him personally, but the more difficult and incomprehensible symbols and visions were explained to him by Nicholas. He said the following, quote, if I had to put into book form everything I have written down, it would come close to what one of the writers of the Bible wrote. <laughs> yeah, it's a long book, right? Making many books, there is no end. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 12. Every Afrikaner, whether rich or poor, should read it. And of course, boy, Musman doesn't have the perspective of Pastor Martin's that we've been sharing here, that Afrikaners are not boars, and boars are not Afrikaners, they are mutually exclusive sets, sets of people. Although, (laughs) I can imagine if a a Boer man marries an Afrikaner woman, what would the offspring be? I guess a hybrid, (laughs) a hybrid. But uh, Pastor Martins has explained in great detail that the Afrikaners, who are the descendants of the Cape Dutch Edomites, and of course the uh, Dutch East India Company later taken over by the British East India Company both of which run by Jewish banksters and the Afrikaners are the descendants of those two groups and not related to the Boer people at all this is the revelation that Pastor Martins has been giving forth through his shows with me and um, I'm sure his postings on his various platforms so, so the, this, uh, statement, boy, Mr. Musman was not aware of these things, and that's why he used the word Afrikaner instead of Boer. but it should be Boer. Uh, Senior Van Rensburg was a boar, not an Afrikaner. Okay. So let's continue. So, Every boar, rather an africaner, whether rich or poor, should read it, the seer's story and his visions. Then our people will know that they also had a prophet, as one reads about in the Bible, in Samuel chapter 9, verse 9. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spoke, Come let us go to the seer, for he then is now called a prophet, who was before time called a seer. Mr. Musman, he was the son of a sister of one of the Boer generals, De La Rey. In his later years, farmed at L- Langlachte, or Long Valley, near Freiburg. In 1955, he wrote to a friend, quote, The seer's daughter wrote down all his visions from 1916 until his death. Things that still have to happen, and are happening now, have all been written down, that's the kind of way the book of Revelation starts out, the things that which are happening now and about to happen in the future, that's the way the book of Revelation starts out, whether Mr. Mussman realizes this or not, I'm not sure, as well as the biggest event of all, the Free Republic. After her father's death, 1926, she told me the following, Uncle boy, you must write a book about my father. Do not, I do not think there is anybody today that knows as much as I do about the visions, but to get to know Nicholas well, you must know all about him and have intimate knowledge of the meaning of everything. Unquote. I have therefore made extensive use of Mr. Musman's knowledge and interpretations of the seer's visions, dating from after the First World War until today. For the first time after reading all the visions that had been written down Mr. Boy Musman declared emphatically Nicholas is a second John <laughs> yeah I guess he did realize it and his visions a second revelation of what is still to happen to his people the Boer not the Afrikaner whom he loved so much unquote after this Mr. Musman started gathering all the information he could possibly get in order to start writing about Nicholas van Rensburg as requested by Anna Badenhorst, Nicholas's daughter. Unfortunately, however, the time to do this continuously eluded him, for during the Warriors, nineteen forty onwards, Things went wrong for him when General J.C. Smuts sent a team of detectives to confiscate all books and also the secret Kraus document see Chapter 22, in which these visions were written, probably because the less flattering things about Smuts and the future of the country that Nicholas had prophesied. However, extremely valuable information about Sear Van Rensburg was left behind by Mr. Musman in numerous letters, articles, and personal conversations. Now, that's very interesting because, as many of you know, Pastor Martin says that Mr. Smuts was a traitor, either a traitor to the Boer people, if he was a Boer, or not a Boer at all, an Afrikaner, in fact, if, if not uh, a, an outsider altogether not even uh, being born in South Africa. So, uh, Mr. Uh, Pastor Martins would be able to confirm that if he can uh, manage to get on board here. Okay, so very good. Uh, we are broadcasting now Chapter 4. So, in other words, this book, which was compiled by a Boy Musman, uh, a lot of the material was confiscated, so I'm sure he lost a lot of stuff. So, we'll see. Okay, so let's continue. Next chapter four, wearers of the prophetic cloak. Now this is interesting here. This just, on a completely unrelated subject, just rang a bell. Because there is a lot of dispute as to what is the mark of Cain. Of course, uh, Pastor Bertrand Comprey says it was a big old hook nose, the schnaz the on Cain. But, I've come to see it's a little more complicated than that and it may be something he wore because it only says it put, Yahweh put a mark upon Cain. It doesn't say what part of his body that mark was put. But there's a legend that Cain had Adam's cloak or loincloth and saved it and actually passed it on down to Nimrod down to Nimrod uh, from whence it has simply disappeared so it's quite possible that the mark of Cain was that he was wearing the well the fig leaf No, the (laughs) loincloth the the loincloth that Adam and Eve wore and uh, possibly other articles of clothing that belonged to Adam and this would have given Cain a uh, what respect of dignity because everybody would have assumed that he was the son of adam so that is quite possibly what it was uh, this just uh, this revelation if it be such came to me very recently so i sh- thought i would share that with you very quickly all right let's continue wearers of the prophetic cloak israel and the Afrikaner nation or the boar nation really the well known English author Lawrence G. Green focuses on two interesting comparisons between the Afrikaner nation and Israel. No, the Boer nation and Israel, because the Boer have always understood themselves to be Israelites, the Afrikaners have not. A conclusion he came to after years of studying the, Afri- the, the Boer nation. A. That nowhere other than in Palestine would one find as many biblical names of places and towns as in South Africa. Well, America, too. <laughs> I think as many names as there are in the Bible, you will find those place names here in America. And B, that the Afrikaner, or the Boer, more than any other nation in the world, has received a gift of prophecy. Yes, the Boers, yes, Afrikaners, no. Green mentions President Paul Kruger as one member of the Boer nation that had this gift, as he could see game in a hunting ground long before he and his fellow hunters reached that specific area or watering hole. But one evening, Paul Kruger, after having asked his young wife, Gazina to read certain chapters to him from the Bible, left the house and went to a mountain called Magalisberg, a mountain range in the southern Transvaal and reputed to be one of the oldest rangers in the world to be alone with God. Days later, his wife, worried sick, asked the neighbors to help search for him. They found him on the mountain near to death from lack of water and food. Yeah, that's being absorbed in your work. Although he never spoke about his experience during those days on the Maglisberg mountain, it was said that he awaited a message from God to show him the right way to go, and I guess that message never came. But what really happened was he, like Jacob, wrestled with God. Ooh. Ooh. Being a strict Calvinist, he was afraid that his gift to see would weaken his trust in God. And when he was on the mountain, he prayed that this gift be taken away from him. Wow! His prayer was answered. Not only that, he couldn't see the difference between an Afrikaner and a Boar, or the difference between a Jew and an Israelite. Okay, brahms says... David just told me to apologize. He is battling with the network, but is trying. Okay, hopefully. <laughs> so, wow, what a strange revelation this is. Okay, so that Paul Kruger, who Pastor Martin's also characterized as a traitor to his people because he made deals with the international Jew. Oh, boy. Well, maybe it's because he, he gave up this Ability to foresee. Maybe he shouldn't have done that. Okay, so yeah, Yahweh blinded Mr. Kruger's eyes to who the real Boer people are, who the real Israelites are. Quite astounding here, folks. Quite astounding. Alright, so let's continue. General Delaray regarding the seer. General Cous de la Rey did not have the gift of clairvoyance but could immediately detect whether somebody was an opportunist or a renegade or a charlatan. Yeah, those of us in identity have this gift, too. (laughs) If Seer Van Rensburg was a charlatan, as some people have alleged, General Delaray would have been the first to notice this and would not have named Nicholas Van Rensburg, quote, a messenger to his people, unquote, nor would he have said that the Seer was an instrument of a power which I recognize and respect. Well, um, that's, uh, I'm sure, I think he would have said that. That, uh, he, he did recognize and respect Seer van Rensburg. So it must be a misprint here. According to the Afrikaans historian Professor G. van der Vesthuizen, Seers and prophets were not unique within the Boer nation, as such causes could be traced throughout their history. Among others, he refers to a letter in the Blomfontein War Museum. Wow! I went to that museum with Pastor Martin's when I was there in 2014. By the way, that museum was dedicated to an Indian, right? <laughs> not, not to a boar. In the Orange Free State uh, containing details of a vision seen by a Mrs. Annie Botha on the 2nd of May, 1900. Her vision is very similar to one seen by Sierra Van Rensburg. She also foresaw a lot Lord Roberts' scorched earth policy which would only be implemented in september nineteen hundred. This refers to the torching of the Boer farms and houses by the British to prevent the Boer fighters from obtaining supplies during the Anglo Boer War. Now Pastor Martins has stated that this torching was actually done by Afrikaners working in the employ of the British. Okay, that the Afrikaners were stabbing the Boer people in the back continuously. Her vision lasted four hours and plunged her into a deep state of depression. Yeah, I can understand that. However, Professor Vander Westhusen said, never was there anyone who could correctly forecast on the same scale as Nicholas Van Rensburg did. Heading the struggle against MAPOG and Malaria, Mapog was chief of one of the black tribes. In 1882, Nicholas Van Rensburg and his younger brother went on commando under General Pete Jobert against Mapog. During this period, it showed clearly that Nicholas Van Rensburg, being timid of character and having an antipathy against violence, would never gain fame as a warrior, but his fellow commando members never held this against him for his integrity and warm-heartedness won him their love and respect, even at such a young age. Plus, his visions came true and saved their lives. That would garner respect, I would think. During this period on commando, which lasted from October 1882 until July 1883, he became ill with malaria, and at times there was fear for his life. After a long period of illness and arriving back on the family farm, he retreated into himself and did Bible study for six months. Well, it reminds me of my malaria episode when I was in Vietnam. Not fun. By the way, uh, a lot of these so-called COVID symptoms are very similar to malaria. Very similar, the weaponized version of it, because it's not SARS, folks. It's a weaponized uh, virus or weaponized germ. Continuing. In December 1883 during a business trip to Wolm Randstadt, he met Annie Kruger a good-looking and placid daughter of a neighboring farmer co- apparently not related to Paul Kruger it was a fleeting acquaintance but on his way home Nicholas knew without any doubt that this was the woman he would marry and on 8th january 1884 the couple tied the knot his premonition that she was one the one she he should marry was correct as she was one of very few who understood him. For during the days when he retreated from his family to study his Bible, she accepted it without protest. During their 42 years of marriage, she gave birth to 10 children and was a great comfort to him during his times of anxiety after experiencing visions which caused him great distress. And this is true of all the prophets in the Old Testament, that their visions caused them great distress because it showed the turmoil, the tribulation that, number one, the Israelites would go through and that the whole world would go through. Boy, are we experiencing that today. Although she was always in the background, she was very proud of her husband, but she never realized that he was chosen by God to receive visions about his people's destiny, which would be a guide to them in the difficult and dark days to come. Now he will be a guide for us as well because we are his people too. Israel all over the world, are Van Rensburg's people. Heading, close family life. Seer Van Rensburg's participation in the Boer War and Rebellion of 1914 never influenced the close relationship between him and his family. Annie and the children seldom spoke to outsiders or expressed their views about his visions. But Annie sometimes proudly announced, My husband is a seer, unquote. All right? Except for his third son, Callie, K-A-L-L-I-E, and eldest daughter, Hester, H-E-S-T-E-R, his other children never inherited the gift of prophecy. Callie never actually experienced any visions, but he had the gift to interpret those of his father. Very good. Chapter 5, The Seer, The Person, by Kalahari Mack. Kalahari Mack is the pseudonym of an Afrikaans author, whether it be Afrikaans, oh, Afrikaans is the language here, whether that person is Afrikaner or Boer, we don't know. Seer Van Rensburg, as a person, his peculiar character and visions drew the interest of various well-known people, like Kalahari Mack, author of a book entitled Behind the Scenes of the Rebellion, about the 1914 Rebellion. He met Nicholas Van Rensburg for the first time on the 26th of November 1914 at a town called Nakop. His description of the Boer prophet was as follows, quote, He was short of stature, with a long black beard, and had a stately countenance, always carrying his Bible under his arm. I have never seen him smile. His calmness was such that his face was virtually expressionless. Yes, he was very serious. And very disturbed by some of his visions, of course. Together with his son, they accompanied the troops on a little open cart drawn by mules. It is astounding how much respect General Kemp and his troops showed him. I estimated his age in the 50s, although his dignified conduct made made him seem much older If you're not dignified by age 50, there's trouble. (laughs) You've got problems. When he experienced the vision, he recounted this vision exactly at least a hundred times that day. With the patience of Job, he explained the vision over and over without any indication of becoming impatient. Never have I seen him angry. Any other person under those circumstances would have lost their temper. Yeah, impatience. Quote, He had an unshakable belief in the Bible and had no doubt that he was sent by the Creator to assist the rebels with advice. This was the reason why he accepted all questions by the rebels as part of his task. He was a humble and poor farmer with just enough education, enabling him to read the Bible and, of course, express his views to those who asked questions of him. Praise Yahweh. Next heading, Dr. C. Lewis Leipoldt a well-known Afrikaans poet and author. So it's very obvious that in his lifetime, he had the great respect. Yes, (laughs) Yes, Pastor Martins hasn't passed on. He he just can't get connected. But maybe that's another kind of life. We're talking about Internet life, which he doesn't have at the moment. The poet Dr. C. Lewis Leipold's view of the seer was more scientific and objective. His view was that, although the seer was not well-educated and without any cultural background, he had an inborn feeling for that which was beautiful, and he looked at life with the far-sightedness of a poet. He said about the seer, quote, His rhapsodies came from a deep feeling from within, although he could not, because of a limited vocabulary, totally express himself he used one word to express more than one meaning and repeated the same phrase with slight modifications, not to emphasize the phrase, but as though he loved to create association and rhythm, Well, this would sound like ancient Hebrew because, what, uh, we only have 8,000 Hebrew words altogether? So it would be very difficult for him to use modern language to convey his understandings. So apparently, uh, since he only knew the Bible... Even though English has, uh, what, what he, he read the Afrikaans version, obviously. So I wouldn't know, uh, what the comparison is like. But obviously, he had a Hebrew way of expressing himself is probably the best way to put it. Okay, so continuing. Uh, one immediately, oh, no, sorry. In the Afrikaans magazine, The Huisgenot of November 1921, an anonymous reader gave the following description of the seer's character and lifestyle. Quote, A few weeks ago, four of us specifically went to visit um Nicholas. That is, Uncle Nicholas. (laughs) He lives in an old-style flat-roofed little house, little house on the prairie, which is very elementary but very neat on the whole. When we arrived, he approached and greeted the visitors, of which two were well known to him, with dignity. Quote, One immediately gets the feeling of being in the presence of somebody with a profound personality. His facial structure, clear blue eyes, long beard, well-formed forehead, and calmness all have a bearing of his character and personality. As soon as we entered the little house, we were offered a cup of coffee, and and, and after some conversation, one of us asked the old prophet regarding what lay ahead at first he hesitated but after do you really want to know <laughs> do you really want to know but after a while he started to talk about what he sees on the road ahead his way of expressing himself is by first referring to some history from the boer war and how it came about that he became aware of his ability to foresee then slowly he will start talking about present situations while leaning on the table with his left arm, he would slowly and repeatedly touch his forehead and rub his beard, and now and again he would wipe the water from his eyes, or the tears from his eyes, obviously. It seems as if what he was telling you creates mental exertion. He then said, quote, Not too far ahead, a thick black cloud will threaten our people, but it will quickly pass, and then there will be happiness and well-being. All of the plains of our country will be dug up and plowed, and here and there a few aloe trees will be left standing and weeping bitterly, unquote. Of course, this is figurative language. In parenthesis here, the aloe trees, according to him, is the British government. Quote, the English all moved to Kimberley, and then I do not see them anymore. The Boers not Afrikaners, the Boers also get together and those who are among the English and other enemies of ours. Now here it's correct. Those Afrikaners who are among the English and other enemies of ours, here the Afrikaners are lumped together with the British as enemies of the Boer people. I see coming over and joining us. there There were British soldiers who switched sides as Pastor Martins has explained to us, and fought alongside the Boers. Possibly some Afrikaners did as well. The writer then ends his article with the following prophecy of Nicholas, quote, I see Ireland being flung from a wagon, England, and like a loose sheaf of corn, unquote. Of course, the conflict between the Irish and the British is well known to all of us. Now, it's very interesting. He uses the expression, I see a black cloud. This is exactly the same language used in George Washington's vision. For those of you who haven't heard about the vision, um, uh, the, South, uh, the South Africans present haven't heard about the vision. At Valley Forge, George Washington had a threefold vision, which was given to him by an angel of Yahweh. The first part of the vision was that the Americans would win the Revolutionary War and that the country would expand from coast to coast, which obviously happened. The contiguous 48 states was being prophesied. Then, then, part two, he saw a black cloud coming from Africa. What could that be? Well, obviously, it's the slaves being brought to America by Jewish ships and, of course, purchased by the landowners of the South, the plantation owners of the South. And his vision continued, stating that this would lead to another war, this black cloud would lead to another war, but... The Union would be preserved. That's exactly what the vision states. This is what George Washington repeated to the person who chronicled his vision. Then, part three, which we are in right now. Yeah, black clouds, Antifa, very good. And they, they still are around, of course. Part three is there a red cloud would come to America from Europe. Obviously, communism. There's your BLM in Antifa, again, having turned into communists. Okay, and it could also be a reference to Edom, because uh, the Edomites, after the Civil War, began moving, that is, the Jews, began moving to America in droves around the 1890s. From communist Jews, by the way, from Eastern Europe. And these Jews who settled in America have taken over America, as we all know that parasites do. Okay, so that three-part vision has come true. We're in the midst of, of part three right now. and But it also concludes that there will be fighting in the streets of every city of America, but that we will come out on top. But you can expect there will be fighting in the streets. Of every city and even small towns, he said in his vision, there would be fighting. Praise Yahweh for the Second Amendment. Okay, if we didn't have the Second Amendment, we would obviously lose this last war. Okay, praise Yahweh. He, he gives us the weapons to defend ourselves. Okay, so next. the uh, Wait a minute. Uh, yes, uh, let me just repeat the last vision here. The writer then ends his article with the following prophecy of Nicholas, I see Ireland being flung from a wagon like a loose sheaf of corn. Yes, and then Ireland, the uh, Catholic Ireland, separated from Protestant England uh, after this vision. Next, Johannes Maitius. Johannes Maitius, a well-known South African writer and painter, had another interesting opinion regarding Nicholas and the people of his time. According to him, the Boers of the Old Republics were typical biblical characters, not just in appearance, but also in their way of life, which was based on the will of God, absolutely. Just like the biblical patriarchs, their whole way of life was subjected to the will of God. And and, uh, if the Boer people, just like we Americans, if we lose touch with God, with Yahweh, then uh, he abandons us. We abandon him and he abandons us. But, of course, those of us who maintain connection with him by obeying his laws will be protected and have been protected. That's why there's always a remnant that survives one tribulation after another. And, folks, we're in the last tribulation because COVID, the lockdowns, and the mRNA attempt to destroy our DNA is the last battle. It's not yet being fought on the battlefield. It's being fought inside our bodies with these injections. So, if you obey his laws, you will not take one of these injections. If you do, your DNA will be so destroyed that you will not be able to enter the kingdom. Sorry, Judeo-Christians, you won't. Period. Okay, so... Johannes mightnest saw in the language used by Nicholas the same poetic speech in which the Bible was written and is the speech in which the Boer prophet revealed his visions. He explained this as follows, quote, As the years passed and Nicholas studied his Bible more and more, eventually his speech and description of his visions would be delivered in rich biblical metaphor. Very good. And uh, fortunately this work has been preserved so because he also foresaw, Nicholas foresaw the day would be coming when his, he would, his memory and his visions would become very popular. Okay. Not with the world in general, but among Israel. And here we are. So. According to him, the Boers of the Old... Okay, I just read that, sorry. One can see many almost unbelievable parallels between the ancient Israelites and the Boer people. For example, the four trekkers, like our pioneers, believed themselves to be the elect of God, and even Paul Kruger, the president of the Transvaal Republic, declared to his people, quote, you are the children of God, unquote. Several Supreme Court justices in America in the early days said, we are American Israel. He said this on many occasions as if he feared that his people would forget who and what they were and are. I guess he wasn't uh, educated on the difference between Jews and Israelites. The question is, why did Paul Kruger believe this and why did he repeat it to his people on so many occasions? The only thing we know is that this trust in the love and protection of God was what carried the Boer nation through all their sufferings when on trek when they left the Cape Colony during British reign and strengthened them during the Anglo-Boer War. So we can see what's happening, the turmoil that's happening in white South Africa, in Boer South Africa now, has to be a result of the fact that the Boer people no longer rely on Yahweh and have become what, modernized, for lack of a better expression, Judaized, even better expression, The basis for their belief as being the elect of God can be seen in the parallel of the exodus from Egypt by the Israelites of old and the Boer nations trek inland into the wilderness from the Cape Colony. Indeed, the Israelites coming down from the Caucasus Mountains actually built covered wagons and began to roam across Europe to the west, to the north, primarily to the west and obviously northwest. And eventually, the Boer people went south, because the prophecy says that uh, his people, Israel, will go to the north, west, east, and south. And uh, many of them went east, probably the Uyghurs, or possibly even Japhethites, because the Japhethites were up there before the Israelites were. Nevertheless, our people spread across the whole world as prophesied. But the Jews always followed us, and they have followed the Boer people as well. Like parasites, they always follow us to take advantage of our prosperity. Other examples are, just like uh, Moses and Aaron, the Boer leaders were men of God. God made a covenant with Israel to deliver them from their enemies, Egyptians and led them into their promised land on conditions that he keep that specific day, the 14th day of Nisan, from generation to generation as a remembrance of their delivery. By the way, the Jewish calendar, which is lunisolar, varies. It's not always the 14th day, which proves that they don't care what day. Sometimes it's the 13th, sometimes it's the 14th, 15th, or 16th. This year... Or This previous year, 2020, it was actually the 16th day of their calendar, which is a violation of the biblical calendar law. But let's continue. And that it must be a feast day in honor of their God. Amen. In turn, the four truckers prayed to God and asked him to deliver them from their enemies, the Zulus, at Blood River, and made a covenant with God that if he helped them, they would keep this day as a Sabbath from generation to generation, and he would build a temple in his honor. This was the Battle of Blood River, which occurred on the 16th of December, 1938. And I had the honor, in uh, 2014, of firing one of those old cannon. Because <laughs> that's what they did on the day of Blood River in uh Wittbank. I was there at Wittbank in the tent, and they had uh, this cannon, uh, commemorative cannon, that they asked me to fire. And I gladly did, as an Israelite. Let's continue. On their arrival in the Promised Land, Israel built a temple in honor of God. The four when they arrived in their Promised Land, also built a church and monument, the Church of the Covenant of Peter, Peter Maritzburg and four Monument monument in Pretoria. Now this, I'm not sure if the Freemasons took over that because when I was in South Africa uh, with Pastor Martins, he showed me the many monuments that were originally Boer monuments that had been taken over by the Freemasons and the Afrikaners. So I don't know if there's any of those monuments that haven't been taken over. But the Freemasons and the Afrikaners have done uh, a dirty deed by, first of all, trying to impersonate the Boer people and incorporating the Boer history into their own history, which none of them lived through, because they were in fact the enemies of the Boer people during all this history. But nevertheless, in order to cover up their subterfuge, they must assume the identity of the Boer people, just as the Jews have assumed the identity of the Israel people. Since the Battle of Blood River, the day of the vow covenant, has been kept by the Boers. Yes. Thank you for being specific and using the word Boer, not "Afrikaner." This holy day has now been abolished to appease the heathens in the quote-unquote New South Africa, unquote. Oh, that's why South Africa is under so much chaos, because that vow, adherence to that vow, has been abolished. And uh, as Pastor Martin's explained to me, the Afrikaans version of the flag of the Boer people has been subtly changed, so it's, it looks like the Boer flag, but it is not. It's it's actually a flag conceived by the Freemasons. And he showed me the difference. Because when we got into the Blood River Monument, Pastor Martin was so outraged by seeing this false flag, which was put in the place of the Boer flag, he was beside himself. And uh, he took us, uh, there were five or six of us accompanying him, And he took us aside after complaining at the entrance to the encampment there, uh, uh, complaining vociferously that this is not the flag of the Boer people, this is a different flag. Don't pretend that it's a Boer flag. And he was in tears when he led a prayer meeting with the five or six of us who were there, and uh, and stating, let us, this deception, be exposed for all the world to see. So, continuing... So the, the so called new South Africa yeah how's it working out? During the Anglo Boer War an incident occurred which was so identical to the Israelites' exodus from Egypt that it became known as the Pharaoh's Red Sea among the burgers. Okay, this is the first I've heard of this. Today there are many Afrikaners, the seer called them jingos. <laughs> okay, so he referred to many Afrikaners as jingos. Who under foreign pressure agree that the Day of the Covenant should be abolished? Okay, so he foresaw this development. That's more proof that the Afrikaners are traitors to the poor people. Nicholas Van Rensburg had foreseen this happening in one of his visions on 28th February 1922. In this vision, he saw that one of our future governments would hand over power to aliens and that it would happen as a result of the fact that this future government would succumb to pressure from the West or from the international Jew instead of following the will of their God. Amen! Wow! Now that was a very... Oh! Yeah, Brahm says the Fortrecker monument was actually built by Freemasons. Wow! And Johannes Menties is a Dutchman. Okay, thank you. Thank you for those clarifying notes. So uh I know enough about Boer history to relate it to the twelve tribes of Israel, but uh obviously you gentlemen know way more than I do having lived it. But uh, the comparison between the American pioneers and the Boer for is simply astounding and the parallel histories of our two nations is simply astounding. Okay, let's continue. Hey and he said God has made a covenant with only two nations, Israel of old and the Boer nation. Is it therefore a coincidence that Israel of old and the Boer nation of today were and are the two most hated nations in history? Well, America has uh, taken the place of the Boers as the world's most hated nation. Africa and the West have been more lenient towards evil communism than towards the Boer nation. That is true, certainly of Europe. Europe has become entirely socialized and secular. Nicholas even foresaw this world campaign of hate. Very good. Uh, Heading here, incense holders and sheep droppings. Johannes Mentius, or Mentius actually, compared Nicholas with John, who wrote Revelation. And it is very interesting to compare some of the symbols used by both in their visions. It is also significant that many of the symbols used by both prophets were part of their everyday lives. The plant and animal kingdoms, the heavens, standard utensils, and their own environments. John. The sun becomes black as a hairy sack, and the moon becomes like blood. He sees angels holding the four winds of the earth. He sees an incense holder from which the vision, or the voices, thunderclaps, lightning, bolts, and earthquakes are flung out. Then locusts with the appearance of horses and faces of men appear. There were horses with the heads of lions, with fire, smoke, and brimstone. Uh, can you recognize canon in that in that verse, emitting from their mouths? He sees a red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Edom, <laughs> Edom, the papacy, the pope wearing wearing bright red, scarlet, influenced by Jews in the papacy. Also a serpent from whose mouth water spouts and a woman with the wings of an eagle fleeing from the dragon. That's us, Israelites, fleeing from, of course, the dragon of the papacy and the dragon of Jewry. This is not over yet, folks. Then he saw a man mounted on a pure white horse, clothed with a vestment Dipped in blood, and from whose mouth emerged a sharp two-edged sword to smite the nations. That two-edged sword, folks, is, of course, the truth. Because there's always two sides to every story, and our side, the Israel side, is yet beginning to be heard. Now, very interestingly, because what's happening in Ukraine, people on the ground are saying that the bombing. And shelling of Ukraine is actually being done by the Ukrainian military itself, and not by Russia. The version I'm getting is that yeah, Putin has instructed his troops to shell particular buildings that were being used as gain-of-function laboratories, just like they were in Wuhan, China. And this is what Putin is targeting And the fact is that the war, I mean, the war of attrition was being waged against the Russians in Crimea and those other provinces that they separated from Ukraine because they were more Russian than they were Ukrainian. The Ukrainian army has been harassing them all this time, but this is a fact that the mainstream media, the kosher press, is not about to reveal. Anyway, this one reporter, female reporter, who was wearing a, a, a helmet, a, an army helmet and a flak jacket was being interviewed and she stated very specifically, she said she was on the ground asking the Ukrainian people about the shelling and she said, these shelling, the shelling is coming from the Ukrainian army, not from the Russian army. So it's a fake war designed to turn people against Russia, that's what it's designed to do, but Putin is targeting their gain-of-function laboratories, blowing them to smithereens, so folks, popular uh, devices like your cell phones where you can videotape reality, (laughs) right, and and present that on the internet, and uh, put the lie to mainstream television and mainstream radio, which is never going to tell the truth. So right now, this is a virtual war, with with, a, with the exception of a few shells shot by the Russians. Okay, so stay tuned. We're going to update you here at Eurofolk Radio about this, these developments. Continuing. All right, so it is also significant that many of the symbols used by both prophets were part of their everyday lives, etc. Okay. So we were quoting here... Uh, from the vision of the book of Revelation, where the man mounted on a pure white horse is obviously Yahshua at his return. And it's going to be bloody, folks. It's going to be bloody. The seer, in the pictures that appear during uh, Um umnuchlus moments of clairvoyance, bulls and rams of different colors storm each other, and there are often broken bones and horns. Well, this could be Russia and Ukraine, right? Or the wars staged by the Rothschilds since the First World War. Actually, ever since the Napoleonic Wars, the Rothschilds have been staging wars and pitting one white nation against another ever since. Wagons drawn by oxen of different colors rattle past. Birds fly out of the mouths of the statues. Springbok run over a scorched piece of earth in Eastern Europe. And in the West, the earth is plowed asunder. From the south, swine come running and suddenly, maranos? <laughs> maranos, which is this Spanish word for Jewish swine. Swine come running and suddenly change into people! Ooh. A young Irish maiden becomes an adult in the twinkling of an eye. Sheep droppings fall out of a large barrel and the whole of the earth changes into a place covered in sheep droppings only! Well, was that fertilizer for plants, right? Dead bodies, fertilizing the plants, pushing up daisies. A stretch of aloe plants moves towards the north. In the northwest, a bucket of blood falls over and spills, and he sees the flag of the Boer Nation being dipped in blood, and this blood flag then flies over a free Boer Nation. All right, well, a vision very specific to the Boer Nation, but I'm sure it can be applied to the European white nations, Israel nations, as well. Chapter 6. Reports, Letters, and Memories Today, more than 70 years after Seer Van Rensburg's death, there is still a vast amount of written information available about his character and his visions, largely thanks to his children, grandchildren, family members, and others who have preserved them over the years. Numerous newspaper reports, letters, and memories from intimate friends about the old prophet's activities have also miraculously been retained. Naturally, all these things throw more light on his character and person, as well as the remarkable visions he experienced almost daily. Many deeply religious people, some being among the greatest names in Boer politics, visited him on his farm in his flat-roofed little house with its clay walls and floors in the district of Wolmarnstadt in the western Transvaal. On his farm, Reitkühl, great boar leaders like Generals John Smuts, which I'm sure Pastor Martins could tell you more about, uh, having become a trader later on, whether he was a, a Boer to begin with, I'm not sure, Kustel Rey, Christian De Vett, Christian Byers, and prominent figures like Imker Huguenot, Jan Kemp. Harm Ust, doctors Tielman Rus and H.D. van Broekhuizen visited him, and were served coffee and rusks by his daughters Anna and Leta. On many occasions, he was seen by his children leaning on his cane, looking towards the horizon and ta- <coughs> excuse me, and talking to visitors who wanted to know whether he had inter- uh, interesting new visions regarding the future. <coughs> excuse me. Next heading A Joseph within the family Van Rensburg's son, Callie was the one who, like Joseph of old, had the ability to interpret his father's visions. However, at the time, no outsiders knew about this. Since 1916, Callie had noted down his father's visions and even studied them long after his father's death. Callie died in 1966 and although he was no educated person, his insight into and ability to interpret his father's visions astounded even his two sisters, Anna and Aletta. However, shortly before Anna died in a car accident in Reitkiel in 1981, she and her sister Aletta spoke about their elder brother's gift of interpretation for the first time. Quote, "'If only our brother was still living,' they proclaimed to a journalist." the late Koos van der Merwe, for he had a wonderful talent to understand and interpret father's visions. Like father, Callie was not well educated, but read the newspapers regularly and knew a lot regarding politics and world affairs. In uncertain times, he would take the book in which father's visions were noted and study it, and then say to us, look, just like father saw it in his visions. Do you see? And then we also saw and understood. Unquote. Callie never married, and his brother, Johannes, only married at a late age during 1953. As a result of this, there was no grandson to continue the family name. Even though van Rensburg other children could not interpret or understand all his visions, they could talk for hours about what their father saw, particularly his two daughters, Anna Badenhorst and Leta Botha. During their last interview with the journalist Koos van der Merwe. Anna told of the following vision her father saw just before the rebellion of 1914. Now, of course, this was World War I and an attempt by the British to conscript Boers against Germany, which, of course, the Boers refused to do because the Germans were the kinsmen of the Boers, All right, not the British, not the British, not so much. The British came later. Okay, and Bram uh, has put into the chat room a uh, a symbol of the flags. the The red is the Boer folk flag, and the one with orange is the Afrikaner deception. Thank you very much. And that is the flag that was flying above the the Boer. Uh, well, the Afrikaner. <laughs> uh, Blood blood, River Encampment uh, So yeah, He explained this to me in great detail That there's a big difference between the two uh, it's Subtle Replacing red with orange Subtle, but Pastor Martins knew the difference Right away, and he was outraged When he saw that Anyway So, 1914 This was an attempt by the British to conscript Bore people to fight against their blood kin The Germans Who, are, of course, are also Israelites Primarily of the tribe of Judah and Simeon, so so this is so they loved t- uh, telling about his visions, which pr- for the most part they didn't understand. So the, this last vision of the rebellion of 1914 was about Van Rensburg and Kernels Neuvenhuis, standing in the dark at Park Station, Johannesburg, and looking at a brown-colored block being rolled out in front of them. All of a sudden, the darkness disappeared and became bright with light, and they were then standing in front of a building which had barred windows. Everything happened accordingly. During January 1915, the rebels laid down their arms at Upington, and Sear and the officers of the rebels were sent to the fort at Baksburg, The seer was imprisoned there and found his cellmate to be someone with the surname of Neuwenhus. Okay, (laughs) very interesting. They became very good friends. And colonels, I guess it means colonel, colonel of the army, colonels. Colonel Neuwenhus wrote down all the visions the seer experienced while in prison. The amazing fact is that the seer recognized the building with the barred windows as the prison he had seen in his vision. Uh, I haven't foreseen myself going to prison, folks. (laughs) Not yet, anyway. He also foresaw the release, the sudden bright light, and recognizing the building from the outside. Very good. Wonderful vision. He did not experience many visions in which his children were directly involved. Yet, during the Anglo-Boer War, he said that two of his daughters would die of measles in the concentration camp at Mafeking after they as well as their two other sisters and grandparents were taken captive by the english in 1901 14 years after that vision he had another one in which he saw his eldest son willem jacobus lying on the wrong side of his coat he described his vision to boy Muslima, uh sorry to mr boy musman and his brother's son and added that this was a bad omen but the vision of the death of his two little daughters in the con- concentration camp would affect him deeply years later. Mrs. Maria James, the au- granddaughter of Vensburg, tells this story. With about a couple of minutes left, I'll just get into it. The grass stands high and yellow is the subheading here. Quote, during the Anglo-Boer War in the year 1901, my grandfather's eldest son, the late Uncle Willie, together with my grandmother and two of her younger children, fled from their farm in, in Rydkill in my grandfather's horse-drawn cart and linked up with the camp of a certain Mr. Lee Rowe. This, or Mr. Le This camp was made of wagons with women, children, and elderly people. They camped a the night on a farm, Whitport, which lay to the northeast of Reitkul. Quote, The next morning, as it became light, they were overpowered and taken captive by the English officers and traders, national scouts, The horse, which were more than likely Afrikaners. The horse-drawn carts and equest- equestrians escaped. Part of this group that escaped were my grandfather, the seer, my grandmother Annie, and their daughter Aletta, who later became Mrs. Botha. However, the wagons with the women and children were taken captive and taken to Ottosdal, then known as Koranafontein. At Ottosdal, all their belongings were burnt and they were escorted in open wagons to the concentration camp in Mafikeng. Okay, so this is where we'll have to leave it off for today. And uh, all of this corresponds to the history that Pastor Martins has been sharing with us. Hopefully he can join us next week. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, Pastor Ammunition. Wonderful story about Van Rensburg. We will continue this next week. Praise Yahweh. Take care, everybody. Yahweh bless. Bye-bye.